listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. At the very start of my career, I was a hospital chaplain, and my hospital that I happened to to be in was uh, downtown, and there were actually three hospitals linked. I helped to cover the children's hospital and then two adult hospitals. And one of those hospitals had a very busy uh, emergency room handling the overflow of trauma from the university hospital that was just down the road. And then the children's hospital took all of the uh, adolescent traumas in the region. During that time, I became very clear about something I'd learned when I took first aid uh, when I was a teenager, and that is about the golden hour. If you're not familiar with the golden hour, the golden hour is an old idea. It came out of some study of World War I that says that that first hour after trauma is critical. The more efficient, the more helpful of the uh, intervention that happens at that time, the more likelihood there is of survival. In other words, in that hour or even less after the trauma occurs— The most prompt and effective medical attention creates the highest likelihood of survival. Now, that kind of makes sense, right? Because if somebody has been deeply injured, let's say they're bleeding, that blood is leaking out and taking away the possibility of of the nurturing and care of the vital organs. Not only that, the longer it goes on, the deeper the damage is in that trauma area. Now, there's a lot of research that shows that there are a lot of factors in how people recover from those traumas. But generally, the people who are first responders are aware of that golden hour, that golden hour of opportunity of making the biggest difference. A lot of the research on this is also coming out of battlefield injuries where they are trying to figure out how to best get people immediately out of harm's way and immediately being treated even on the scene. So that's the concept of the golden hour. It's an interesting concept because it it fits in so many places in our life and in looking at a marriage crisis because what I've come to realize is there is a golden hour in a marriage crisis, and you've got to survive that golden hour. In fact, that's the time for you to do your intervention, to really be working hard and rebuilding things. And so this week, as I've continued to talk about those how to survive kind of things, I wanted to talk about surviving the golden hour. Here's the thing. if Many times, if you can survive, get through that golden hour, and first, let me tell you, I'm not talking about 60 minutes of time, but that, that time period you have that best time period you have for getting things going, the better you're able to not just survive but actually treat, the more likely you are to find yourself on the backside of the crisis in a good place. In other words, the better your chances are of a marriage surviving. So let me first backtrack and say that just because somebody is treated in that first hour after an accident, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to survive. Sometimes the trauma is so severe that survival is impossible. It's just that the more the care happens in that first hour, the more accurate the care is in that first hour, the more likely they are for long-term survival. This is particularly true in bleeding incidents, and it makes sense. Right? Because loss of blood begins to disrupt the whole body process. 
So let's just take that whole idea that there is this golden time, this, this period of time, and how it fits into your marriage crisis. So first of all, understand it's not really an hour. It could be days, weeks, maybe months, but generally it's more like days and weeks. And what I've noticed is that the longer it takes for things to begin to change, the more likelihood of damage in a relationship and the harder it is to pull back. Now, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's kind of common sense that if a marriage has developed into a crisis, that the longer that crisis goes, the deeper it goes. But there are some very important ways that we can kind of compare this to the same golden hour of medical treatment. First, as I said, it's not an hour, but second, it is a time period. And it's a period of time soon after the crisis is revealed or discovered or established. Now, what I mean by that is that we're talking about the time period after a spouse says, you know what, I'm not in love anymore. Or they say, you know what, this isn't working. Or they say, hey, I want a separation. Or they say, hey, I'm involved in an affair or I have this other relationship. It can also be because you discover that. Somehow you accidentally get that that text or you accidentally get that email, which when I, I kind of chuckle on the accidental part, it's because it happens so often I realize that sometimes those misguided emails and texts are subconscious attempts to let you know what's going on. But in any case, when those happen, when you discover the relationship, the inappropriate relationship, or you discover some other way, maybe your, your spouse is talking to somebody else who says, hey, did you know that your spouse is unhappy in the relationship? It's, it could be a friend who just says, I just want to let you know that what I just heard from your spouse, right? It could be a family member that comes and says, hey, I'm hearing about this from your spouse. That's, those are ways we discover these crises. And then there are the times when they're established, what I mean by established is at some point, two people are looking at each other and they start having this conversation and slowly that conversation gets deeper and deeper and worse and worse. And what began with I'm not happy is ending with I want a divorce, all in a single conversation that probably even at the beginning of the relationship or at the beginning of that discussion, could have been derailed into a useful relationship talk, but instead it devolved all the way down to talking about divorce. So those, that's what I'm talking about. Whether suddenly a spouse says, hey, I need to let you know this isn't working for me, or whether you discover that something's not working in the relationship, or whether the two of you dig deeper and deeper and deeper until you have created a huge mess, that's what we're talking about in the period of time soon after a crisis has been created or established or revealed. Now, let me also say that there's some background to this. There's already been a process. The crisis has already had its beginning points. You know, sometimes, and if, you, if we stay with this same analogy of medicine, sometimes the revelation is created by a new level of crisis. It's kind of like a disease in your body. You know, sometimes you can have a disease for a long time before it shows itself. In fact, this is usually the case. There are many times when, when finally cancer shows symptoms that that tumor has been growing for months, even years. There are times when diabetes has been taking hold for a long time, maybe it's pre-diabetic, and suddenly a crisis happens when it crosses a line. It could be the same with kidney disease. You know, you don't know that there's anything going on until suddenly the kidney can't handle it enough to keep the body moving, and so you you cross from a chronic problem to a critical problem. 
Same kind of thing in a marriage crisis. A lot of times people say, I thought we were just fine only to discover that we had been hurting for years. We had been in trouble for years. That's very common to hear. At some point, something tips the scale. A critical mass has been hit, or as it might make more sense, an inflection point. Things have been going along maybe steadily not good, and then suddenly they take a deep dive. There's an inflection point when everything begins to fall apart. So it's not that the crisis came out of the blue. It's already in the background. It's just that suddenly it gets bad enough that somebody is willing to raise their hand and say, hey, I've had enough. So as we talk about this golden hour, recognize that it's not that it's out of the blue. It's not kind of like a car accident or a gunshot wound in, in medical terms. This is something that is about the what happens when something goes from chronic to critical. When something goes from being just a bit of a problem to being a threat to the relationship. And whenever that happens, we're at a different point. That's when the clock starts ticking. When somebody says, I'm not happy, or you find out that something's not working, or you have that discussion that gets you to a bad place, either one of those can begin the clock ticking. So imagine the same thing that happens in an emergency room. When, when the patient comes in, they start the clock. And they're watching the clock and they know how long that patient's already been in crisis. And now they're beginning to work as fast as they can to get things going. And I'm going to talk about how you can go too fast in just a minute, but how they are going as fast as they can to make sure they're establishing and reestablishing circulation in the body. Okay, so the revelation has happened and the clock is now ticking. And you've got to figure out how you're going to survive this. And so you do a process, kind of like you would in first aid. So the first thing you do anytime there's a crisis is you do triage. Triage is an important thing because it really is an evaluation period that's kind of, you're trying to remove all the emotion you can out of it. For instance, sometimes somebody realizes that a spouse is unhappy And it begins to be such an issue that it goes from being unhappy to divorce in just a single conversation. And part of that is because they begin to have a bad emotional conversation. Triage is not about the emotional conversation. If a spouse says, I just need to let you know, I'm not happy. The next step is to say, what do you think we might be able to do to fix that? How do you think we might be able to resolve that? Instead of going, I can't believe you would say that, you've betrayed our relationship, and lots of the other kind of comments that I hear very often when people come from an emotional space. Triage is is trying to be as non-emotional as you can. You, empathetic with the spouse. You, you want to be responding to your spouse and not acting um, you know, like Spock, a Vulcan with no emotions, but more like someone who goes, wow, you know, we've got a problem. We've got to address it. Let's figure out how bad this is, and how we move forward. Now, this might be a conversation you have with a spouse, but it might be one that you do in self-reflection. How long has this been going on? How did it get to this point? How did it get to the place where the pain is so deep that a spouse is saying, we're done, or I don't know if we can go on? And the secondary question is, where is the disconnection? Because here is the, the close analogy to a medical crisis. Whenever you're looking at, at golden hour, one of the things we're always talking about is levels of blood 
and circulation. I remember in first aid training, there were some immediate things we wanted to do. First, if there was bleeding, we had to stop the bleeding, immediately stop the bleeding. The second thing is we wanted to make sure that they uh, had uh, a heartbeat, a circulation. Because even if there's blood coming out and there's no circulation, we're stuck. So if you can stop the blood and make sure that there is blood circulating in the system through CPR or by, you know, other methods of resuscitation, and then to make sure that their airway is clear and they can breathe. Those are the immediate steps, those three immediate steps in first aid. And the reason is because if they're bleeding, you've got to stop that before you can do the CPR. Otherwise, it keeps on leaking out, right? And the same in the relationship. There has to be the circulation of connection between the two of you. So where are the places it's bleeding out? For example, an affair is a huge place of bleeding out. Sometimes being focused on the kids or the job or or some other thing has been bleeding out the the blood of connection, the lifeblood of connection of a relationship. And connection is the absolute lifeblood in a relationship. It has to keep circulating. It has to keep moving. And so whatever is blocking that is the secondary thing you want to have happen. You know, is the heart between you stopped? Have you gotten to a place where you're not sharing your, your connection? You're not sharing your ways of connecting. Maybe you physically cut each other off, emotionally cut each other off, and spiritually cut each other off. Those are the three levels of connection. And so suddenly the heart between you has stopped. We've got to find a way of reestablishing that pulse rate. And part of that resuscitation of breathing is to make sure that you both are bringing in some energy into the relationship, into your own life, and into the relationship. Those are the three pieces of looking at what happened to the disconnection. So many times I watch that what's happened over time is just kind of benign neglect in the relationship. I call it the push button marriage, other pause button marriage. Many people think that they've hit the pause button on marriage and it's just waiting to pick up. Maybe they're waiting for the kids to get old enough to take care of themselves and, or be out of the house and back to that empty nest. Or maybe they're waiting for that career to take off and finally get to the place where you don't have to be working so hard. Or maybe they're working to finally get through that marathon or the triathlon or the tennis tournament or the golf tournament or so many other things. And they thought they hit pause. And the reality is that when you hit pause – you're stopping the circulation. When you hit pause, you're no longer breathing air into the relationship. You're depriving it of what it needs to keep going. Relationships are not like any other thing in life where you can just hit pause. You know, if I, if I want to work on some hobby and I need to pause it and come back to it later, I might have gotten a little rusty on it, but I can pick up the skills and do it myself. Relationships are different. Relationships are much more like that plant on your back deck that if you if you don't keep nurturing it, it begins to die. And for a while, you can go back and just put some water on it and it comes back to life. But after a while, it's withered away. You, you don't just pause it. You don't just get to put it away. Years ago, I uh, had a friend of mine who uh, is gave me some banana plants. And I said, I just, I don't know how to do that, the banana plant thing. I mean, we live in too cold a climate. We live kind of in the southern Midwest in Kentucky. And, you know, it's not a tropical environment. He says, I've been growing them for years. And I said, really, what do you do? And he said, well, every year, right before the freeze, I dig them up and chop off all the leaves and stick them underneath my house where it doesn't ever get freezing. 
And then in the spring, I pull them back out and put them back in and they start up again. In other words, for those plants, there was a pause button. And, and it was kind of interesting to see because I was used to the plants that you always had to keep, you know, they were constantly needing some help. And so I want you to make sure you understand that you're not like the banana plant. Your relationship is not the banana plant. You can't just stick it under your house for the winter and, and pull it out when it's spring again. It needs constant attention. It's more like the ficus that's sitting there and the leaves start falling off. Maybe you put some water in it and it starts coming back to life. But if you don't, there comes a point when it's too late relationships are either progressing or regressing. They're never on pause. And so part of the first aid, when you realize it, is figuring out how to reestablish the connection, the disconnection that has happened has got to be healed. Which brings us to to the two last pieces of how to survive that golden hour. The first thing is you've got to have a cool mind. Cool minds prevail in the middle of a crisis. So many times when there is a big crisis going on, there are two groups of people acting in ineffective ways. There are those who are frozen in place. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to act. And so they freeze. This is the freeze mode of that survival mode. You just don't know what to do. And so you do nothing. And then there are those who go into hyperactive Uh, actions. They just do anything. They start grabbing anything they can and doing everything they can. And in the end, they're very ineffective because they're never sticking with one thing. And they're just kind of like throwing everything up against the crisis, hoping that something will stick rather than figuring out what will stick. Cool minds are the ones who step back and ask, what do I need to know? How do I need to do this? What plan do I have in place? And this is the thing that is critical for me. A plan is how you get through this with a cool mind. If you've got a plan in place, then you can follow your plan even when your anxiety is hitting you, even when your frustrations are hitting you, even when your emotions overtake you, you step back and you rely on the plan. If you'll notice, whenever you look at those who are those first responders, they have a plan. They've practiced over and over how they're going to deal with a crisis. Last week, my wife and I were driving down the street. We come by a, the fire station nearby, and we notice that there are several cars that have rolled down the hill. They're upside down and on their side. And my wife said, oh, my gosh, what happened there? And I said, oh, you know what? I think they're training. I like to think that I'm right. I like to think that it's not that the firemen were all racing to get there at the same time and suddenly had an accident, but that they had set it up so that they could test how to get in and out of cars that were in trouble. My guess is that's the case because they've had a chance to practice that, they'll be much more effective when they get out there. The same with people who go into battle or who go into dangerous situations. They keep a cool mind because they're focused on their plan. Instead of always being being in that stuck place of what do I do now, they know what to do because they have a plan. And so a big piece of surviving the golden hour is having your plan. Here's an interesting thing uh, back to that golden hour. There are times when you have to be careful on how you do resuscitation. Part of my training as a scuba instructor is in scuba first aid. And one of the things that's very common for scuba uh, instructors uh, is to be aware of the hypothermia situation. I don't know if you know this, but there are situations where people have been in submerged in super cold water for, for 
minutes, even hours, and have been resuscitated successfully. In other words, their circulation was completely shut down, but they were resuscitated. And one of the things I learned when I was a chaplain is that when they would bring someone in who was suffering from hypothermia or even had died from uh, the, the cold, they would slowly resuscitate. Because if they warmed the person too much, their body would overreact and they would crash and have a crisis just from being rewarmed too quickly. This has a direct analogy to surviving that golden hour in a marriage crisis. You can't go from zero to 100 in a relationship. You can't suddenly go from little connection to super connected. There has to be a buildup. You have to slowly warm the body so it doesn't react and have kind of an immediate response that crashes the system. You have to go about it in a very uh, specific way. You have to be headed slowly into rewarming the connection to reestablishing the, cir- the circulation in the body that have, you have between you. If you go too fast, you'll watch your spouse run faster. So part of the plan has to be paced. It has to make sure that it's taken into account that rewarming the relationship too fast can be just as dangerous as rewarming the person who's been submerged too long. Okay, so that's how we get through that golden hour. We triage to figure out how bad things are and why they are that way. We're looking for the wounds. We're looking for the places where we want to make sure that there's no more bleeding that there is a circulation and there, there's still a, a way of breathing in the relationship. The second thing is we want to make sure we have a cool mind, that we're focused on staying calm and consistent with that. Not only that, but the way we do that cool-mindedness is with a plan that has a slow resuscitation at its heart. You'll notice I've said connection many times. There are lots of theories out there, lots of information out there on how to fool somebody back into a relationship. And I can tell you that they don't fool too long, that it doesn't work. But there is a method that has been proven to work, and that is reestablishing that connection. That's the method I use. I work on the reestablishment of connection, changing yourself as another part of that, and understanding how to create a new path for your relationship. If you need help in figuring out how to survive that golden hour, not just how to survive, but how to capitalize on that golden hour to make sure you get as much movement from that as possible, I would love it if you would grab my Save the Marriage system. It's designed to help you not just survive, but thrive through that golden hour of reestablishing what your relationship needs. I'm not going to scare you by saying time is short. You already know that the clock is ticking on your relationship. I don't need to tell you that. You already know it. You're here because you're ready to step forward. So if you don't have the system, please check it out at savethemarriage.com. Now, a couple of things. If you go to savethemarriage.com, I want you to know I do offer you, at least for, I guarantee it, for people who are in the U.S., a get started session with one of my coaches. If you're outside of the U.S., we do our best to do that. There are just so many different logistics to that. But even if you are out of the U.S., I give you an offer of a free week of the VIP virtual coaching. I'm the one that's almost always sitting in the coach's chair uh, each week. And so that's a great benefit for you. You can get that free week to try it out and, and see if that helps you. And if it doesn't, no problem. You can, you can end that. But if it helps, 
you might find that that's the way that we continue to work on the triage and keeping a cool mind and getting that plan going. We've got so many resources in there to help you with your plan and keep you focused. If you don't have it, grab the Save the Marriage system. Now, if you do have it, please remember this. A plan is only as good as you following it. So if you have the system, it's not enough to have it somewhere on your computer. It's not enough to have it on your phone or on your tablet. It has to be activated. A plan is only as good as its execution. Please follow the plan if you've got it. Make sure that you do the most so that you don't just survive and hang on through that golden hour, but so that your relationship can thrive because you've addressed the issues during that golden hour. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.